Hey there, folks. Uh, Ian here, and um, yeah, this this might be an episode of the show. It might not be. Uh, you'll you'll see from the title, I suppose. Well, I don't know. Bit of stream of consciousness here, which is uh, probably just for patrons. Um, not entirely sure what Mark and Becky are doing yet in terms of uh, in terms of recording this week. So um, you've got me. Uh, talking about not as much LFF as I thought. A little bit of a family thing, everybody's alright, but, um, and also, if I'm being absolutely honest, I was fucking knackered anyway, Um, but I curtailed my uh, uh, LFF trip and uh, didn't get to Belfast, that was, I suppose, the the key one that I I wasn't able to see. Um, But this is part one of... uh, what will be two parts of LFF coverage um, over uh, Film Bastards. Uh, So next time around, um, I'll be talking about some pretty heavy hitters, actually. Going to go see Titan, or Titan, or however you pronounce it, uh, at Chapter in Cardiff on Saturday night. And then I'm doing a double bill of Apachat Pongwiasafakul's Memoria, uh, which people are saying the ending's wild, and it's like, but is that just like film Twitter being film Twitter? We'll, we will see. Um, and the tragedy of Macbeth. So we've got some, yeah, like some big ones um, coming up. Um, but for now, um, we, actually, to be honest, uh, a pretty decent selection to, uh, to kick things off. So the first film that I... Actually, well, no, I mean, I'll tell you what, we'll go with um, the, the the film that premiered LFF, but not the first film, the LFF film I actually watched, uh, The Harder They Fall, uh, which is coming out uh, for a, uh, what I imagine will be a pretty limited theatrical run uh the end of the month uh, in the UK as well as the US, I believe, uh, and then hitting on Netflix a week later, uh, so I think like maybe the first Friday of November, I want to say, yeah, that sounds right, Friday the 5th, I think that is. So, um, this is the uh, 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 Black Western um, with uh, uh, almost an all-black cast. Really, I mean, there's there's white faces every now and then, but uh, really uh, white people are only somewhat prominent in maybe two scenes in the entire film. Um, so, story starts with Idris Elba uh, visiting the childhood home of uh, uh, a kid who grows up to be uh, Jonathan Majors' character. Um and uh, there's some history going on between Jonathan Majors' dad and Idris Elba. Idris Elba kills the dad. Uh, flash forward to, what, like 20 years later, um, and um, Jonathan Majors is a... Um, not not exactly an outlaw. Like He's almost like an avenging angel, um, but he's not really concentrating on Idris Elba's character. Uh, Idris Elba, sorry. Idris Elba's character because he's uh, safely locked away. However, there is a jailbreak. Uh, Regina uh, King uh, leads a uh, jailbreak uh, of uh, Idris Elba, uh, along with Lakeith Stanfield, and... Uh, Jonathan Majors gets wind of it and uh, rounds up his guys to basically go kill him and get revenge. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, kind of a standard Western um, plot there, but with the kind of like the added style 
that you would imagine that kind of like that that cast would bring to it and I mean, if there's anything to say for The Harder They Fall, it's that it is an incredibly stylish piece of work. Um, it does things... It is playful stuff with the camera. Uh, there's some very, very cool shots. I mean, there's there's a shot in the, uh, the jailbreak of Idris Elba's character where he's kind of running through like a hail of bullets being uh, exchanged to the left and right of him. Oh, and he's not even running, actually. He's doing the exact opposite of running. He's slow motion walking. And it's, you know, uh, suspension of disbelief through the roof and whatnot, but it looks fucking cool. And th- th- there are moments in this film that are fucking cool. Um, however, that's prob... Well, I, mean, I, I, I actually no. I think I'm being uncharitable. I think some of the performances are pretty strong as well, but there, there, there are even some caveats there. I mean, uh, Regina King is uh, fucking uh, great um, in her role. She's almost, almost kind of the, the 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 brains behind the whole operation, but it's like she's also somewhat in indebted to Elba's character. Um, and it, it, I don't know. It it felt like I, I maybe needed a little bit more, just material there for her to really cement. Like, is she a partner? Is she a like a strong girlfriend, but still like a girlfriend as opposed to a partner? Um, but she's very very good in it, and uh, she gets a, a a good fight scene with uh, Zazie Beats late on as well. Um, Lakeith Stanfield quite a small role Um, it was interesting I was talking to uh, a contributor to the show uh, Brad Porter yesterday um, while in a queue which was a a defining experience of LFF um, about um, uh, about Lakeith Stanfield in the Heart of the Leaf and I'm ever so sorry I'm, I'm recording this the day after I got back and I'm still slight, ever so slightly sleep deprived um, so apologies I think I'm coming down with a cold as well so um, but yeah Lakeith and, and Brad was saying how much he enjoyed Lakeith Stanfield's performance and I did as well but there just wasn't really enough of it and I, 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 I this this was shot in, in the time of Covid and I, I ever so slightly wondered if Lakeith Stanfield was offered this in normal times whether he would have actually done it because the role is pretty small, but it, but it is quite notable. He is one of the most memorable characters in the entire film. He's this guy, Cherokee Bill, who um, kind of protests to like, not necessarily want to kill people, but when he does, he's like ruthlessly efficient. And um, yeah, he, he really does stand out um, as, uh, as does Idris Elba. Idris Elba is, um, you know, in it, um, not as much as he should be, though. Um, he there, there's some stuff that happens later on, which you think, um, I wish that there was more Elba earlier on for that to impact in the way that you you know it is wanting to impact and considering the film is already over long at two and a quarter hours like straight up over long um it feels like its focus is in the wrong place i mean there is uh, it, 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 um 
I, there was a half an hour of red carpet stuff before the the partner screening a, a chapter. Uh, you know, quick fucking sidebar. Maybe uh, do interviews with the cast and crew about how much they love the film after. You, you've seen the film and decided if you like it yourself. I will be absolutely honest. I would have got the fuck out of there. I liked the film, but I didn't. Re- I didn't necessarily need to hear about that, and it, it made a late night even later. Um, but yeah, just there's 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 not there's not enough meat there to really give it give it the wallop. Um, but he is, but he is good. Uh, RJ uh, Kyler is uh, decent as like this young buck guy who um, like wants to be the fastest gun in the West. Um, Delroy Lindo is as solid as he ever is. Uh, Zazie Beats, who I mentioned earlier on, really good fun as um, Jonathan Majors' love interest. Um, I will say a standout, Danielle Deadweiler um, as this character Cuffy, She's fucking great, and I wish we were following her more. Um, like, just really personable, really warm, and you just kind of like will her to succeed. Which brings you, it brings me to Jonathan Majors, who is an actor I like, but this is a lead film role for him, and he is absolutely swamped by the sheer charisma of everyone around him. And you know he can be he can be charismatic, but it, it, here not it just it doesn't work. He doesn't work. He's a very one note character, and I was not feeling being around, like watching him and being in his world all that much. And as I said earlier, what kind of doesn't happen there uh, help there is the fact that the film is over long, and it's got this second act where. Essentially, twenty minutes of it is taken up by Idris Elba. Essentially, um, getting um, Majors and Co. Uh, to do a side quest. Um, it is really, really annoying. <laughs> but it and, and but it, it, it in itself, I can see why it's there. Uh, it's a bank. It, it's this bank robbery in this white town. I mean, it li- literally says. It's a white town, like as as like a title card, um, and it's it's all painted white. And it, I I I mean, uh, it's the old sledgehammer to crack a walnut um, kind of stuff. But it works, and that that's funny as a as a one note joke. But then it goes on for fifteen twenty minutes, and if if we could have had, and again. By the time it gets to the end of the film, there are some revelations, and you wonder what was actually going through minds when that side quest was agreed. It's very, very odd, and it feels like it's there to like to get laughs out of people, and it does. But it would have been better if you'd spent twenty minutes, maybe like with Regina King or Idris Elba, or or building Jonathan Majors' character into one that I, you know I actually wanted to follow. So, yeah, I, I overall, um, I thought it was um, all right, absolutely fine, very much style over substance. Um, I can see why LFF wanted it. It's um, you know. Um, British black filmmakers like in the in the lead creative kind of like positions, which is fucking fantastic. Um, 
I just wish I liked it more. It's not not a disaster, and it may well play better at home. You know, if you could maybe have a toilet break or something like that, maybe split it up a little bit, maybe it would actually work better. Um, but for me, I was a, 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 a little bit old. Was that it about it all by the end? But it's got it's definitely got its moments. It's three out of five. Three out of five. You know, it's it is a mild recommendation. I wish I liked it more. And some people really do, really, really seem to be liking it and getting you know good on them. So the uh, first, I've got a little bit of a thematic Western trilogy here going on actually. So I'll I'll, I'll do this. So the first film, uh, LFF film that I actually watched was uh, Alexandra O. Philippe's new documentary, The Taking, uh, which is. Um, basically about the uh, about cinema and media's relationship with Monument Valley, um, and it it's it's rather sprawling. It starts off talking about um how like the massive stone structures in Monument Valley represent what what they can represent and like the the idea of these big things just wading into a, a landscape and basically taking over and stretching upwards like the americans trying to reach for the american dream you know which is uh I, you know I, I i like that as a metaphor even even if it does sound a little bit wanky um but then as it goes on it starts kind of like giving um john ford some shit um, for his uh, treatment of the indigenous peoples, but also spends an awful lot of time talking about how effective his filmmaking was. It's in it's weirdly balanced there, just in terms of that there is criticism, but there's also an awful lot of effusive praise. And I wasn't exactly entirely sure what Philippe's opinion was, unless he was just letting people rattle off their viewpoints. And even though what I what was interesting was you never get uh any context for who the people speaking are. You only get that at the end. So it feels weirdly democratic in that way where you're not necessarily thinking, oh, this person uh their background is this. So I due to my own unconscious bias am gonna I'm gonna take them more seriously than this person whose uh, background is this. Yeah, and, and, and that's interesting. I mean, I did int- uh, I did recognise uh, Christopher Frayling's uh, voice from uh, kind of like DVD commentaries back in the day, um, but other, other, other folks, no idea who they were. And it it does lend it this fun kind of democratic angle where you're almost like just taking things on with a a, a, a bit less bias. Um, and I, I thought that was an interesting creative touch. Um, but then as as it goes on, um, it then turns into quite a, I don't know, this interesting theory about how the filming of culturally important places and structures um, and, and kind of corrupting them with things that you don't expect can corrupt your vision of what they are and it and it ends with linking that to the um 
I mean, I, I don't know. If you don't want to be spoiled for a do- for a documentary, obviously skip on. But I kind of wonder if it would actually help to know this. Um, but it ends with talking about how the image of the White House could be corrupted by the imagery of the uh, in uh, the January twenty twenty one insurrections, uh, insurrection even uh, or, or insurrection attempt. Thankfully, um, and. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like, it's this film that for the first hour, it's only about 75 minutes long. And for the first hour, 65 minutes, it's about like Westerns and how the power of Monument Valley is basically diluted every time you get like, you know, you, you, you had people like filming it with great reverence, like John Ford and like his kind of peers did. And now you've just got people taking pictures of themselves um, and God, there was one where it was like this um, group uh, were like smiling around this really fucking inappropriate thing. I can't remember what it was now. And they obviously just didn't know the context. I mean, either that or fucking hell, those are some interesting people. But the the, the way that, yeah, you know, this you know, again, it sounds wanky, but that people saying like, you know, don't film gigs, you know, you need to live in the moment. And it's, I, I, I get that though, because you, if you're not like living in the moment and you're not actually thinking about the situation in which you're in, and you're just smiling and taking a photo and saying, "Yeah, I went here." How much are you actually thinking about it, and how times a million people, how that could actually have an effect on the the public consciousness view of a place. Um, it, it's some really interesting stuff, like, but like I say, a bit sprawling. And, I mean, content packed for 75 minutes, but th- th- there was a little bit of a lack of focus there. And, like, the John Ford stuff, it is talking about him, and then it kind of diverts away for, like, five minutes or so, and then comes back to him. And it, yeah, I don't know. It, it just, it, it didn't quite click all the way, but I thought it was really fucking interesting throughout. Like, it's a really really interesting piece of work and it's god i mean like if you're a, like a film or a media studies student I, I it's the kind of thing that's probably actually essential viewing um if not your mileage is probably going to vary ticking down i'd say but if you're listening to this then you know, i I'd, I'd say it's probably you know it is probably worth a punt um okay so, uh, the third and last in my thematic Western trilogy is Jane Campion's new film, The Power of the Dog, uh, one of the most hotly buzzed about films of the season. Uh, theatrical release in November, Netflix early December. Uh, so, it's an adaptation of a book, uh, Jane Campion's first film in, uh, I think, about 10 years. Um, stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst, um, Cody Smith McPhee, and uh, Thomas and McKenzie as what's Thomas and McKenzie doing, playing a maid for a couple of scenes when she's Thomas and McKenzie and she just led in Edgar Wright's new one. That's weird. It is odd. Um, but I don't know. Good for her. She's working. I mean, she's working with some interesting fucking directors early on for her career, isn't she? Jesus wept. Um, so, story is um, Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons are uh, kind of like uh, ranchers, essentially. Um, Jesse Plemons is uh, kind of like smartly dressed, uh, respectful, 
Benedict Cumberbatch a bit of an arsehole. Um, they go for dinner at a uh, restaurant, which is... and Well, they're served by... I don't think they run it, but they're served by... Actually, no, maybe they do. Uh, but yeah, Kirsten Dunst and Cody Smith-McPhee. Jesse Plemons uh, falls for Kirsten Dunst. They get married. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is not happy about it. And Cody Smith-McPhee plays her son, uh, who is, um, you know, coded gay. Um, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, doesn't like him. So... Um, yeah, I, I liked it, actually. Um, you know, I, I was half going in going like, oh, well, everybody seems to be fucking loving this, and is it just going to be austere and boring and blah, blah, blah. And, and no, it's not. Um, I, you know, it, it, it won't be in my top 10 film, films of the year, if I'm absolutely honest, but... Again, like the Hardly Fall, it's one that I, I I could see if people are connecting with it. Absolutely fair enough. It's a fucking. It is a strong film. It's like a good strong four out of five for me. Um, but I, w- I, I will just go through what I wasn't so keen on. There's there's a couple of narrative beats in it that I don't think the film did very well in connecting the dots. Um, there is a change in the relationship between Benedict Cumberbatch and Cody Smith McPhee, which was. Where the fuck did that come from? From Cumberbatch's uh, kind of like side. Um, came out of absolutely nowhere. Did not get it. Also, I don't think that Cumberbatch's hate for Dunst is... Uh, I mean, it's, it's well played out in terms of the acting. But again, it never quite get a sense why he is as shitty to her like Cody McMurphy I kind of get it because of men at that time Dunst not so much and there, there's like Dunst's character's arc is I don't know a little disappointing if I'm honest um, and there is a kind of like an emotional moment at the end with Cumberbatch saying some stuff about her where it's like I, I don't I, I get where this is coming from, but I don't get why the film is necessarily having this person doing this emotional beat. Like I said, it just there were these things that just didn't quite work for me there. But uh I don't think Cumberbatch is gonna win an Oscar this season because Will Smith is in a in a film, in a performance that people seem to like. And he is going to be a consensus choice who will also be box office for the Oscars. But um, I think Ben, uh, I, I, King Richard Sight Unseen, I think Benedict Cumberbatch would actually be quite a worthy winner here. I'm, you know, I'm never, I've never necessarily been in love with his performances, but he is very, very good here. Very good. Um, his character has got some, like, some shit in his basement, um, but it's not necessarily stuff that's ever you don't get like a massive emotional cathartic scene with him it's all quite understated and he is threatening as fuck him doing some whistling is just really fucking unsettling <laughs> um which and, and i mean it's it's well handled it, it, it's and i mean like to be fair campion's got got him playing things 
relatively subdued as well. But yeah, there, there, there is some unsaid stuff here that he is playing with his eyes, uh, which is very, very well done. Um, Jesse Plemons is kind of, I don't know, like it's kind of, Jesse Plemons has got like a couple of different flavors and this, this is just one of them and he's, he's all right. And I, I mean, Dunst has been getting a bit of buzz and I, I think that's maybe because she's Kirsten Dunst and people think it might be time for her to come back and get some recognition rather than, uh, the, the character itself. The character is, uh, yeah, I just... There's some really unsurprising stuff that a character goes through. It's like, oh, we're just doing this, are we? All right, then fine. Um, and Cody Smith McPhee. <laughs> um, I don't want to spoil things, but yeah, that feels... It feels very much like a the kind of role that... You've been kind of willing Cody Smith McPhee to take on for a while... And he does, and he's good, and it's just like, yeah, all right, fine, you've done that now, cool. I, I'd be worried about him getting typecast after this fucking performance. I tell you what, um, and you, you know, you could almost see a sequel that would like focus on him and just be like one of the darkest fucking things you've ever seen. But yeah, oh, uh, there you go. Um, also, the film looks great, um, just from a technical point of view. Um, there's some low light cinematography here, where, where when combined with uh, digital, um, led to some. I don't know. There, there's some kind of like uh, going over landscapes, which was a little bit juddery and didn't quite feel like it had the epic sweep that um, uh, Campion was was going for there. But I mean, like, I, if anybody else actually fucking noticed that, I'd be surprised if me being a, a, a fucking arsehole. Um, one of, to be fair, one of the best scenes I've seen this year, though, involving uh, landscape and um, someone seeing something and uh, the other person's reaction to it is fucking brilliant. And I kind of wish I actually came earlier in the film because that probably would have sorted out one of my problems that I had earlier on. But yeah, now I'm thinking about it. But yeah, good, good scene. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it Cumberbatch just absolutely fucking smashes it in that lead role. I think everybody else is solid. Um, I mean, Dunstan Plemons are basically kind of just doing what they're asked to do. If if I'm honest, I know uh, everybody fucking loves loves them. And I mean, like Plemons has done some fucking fantastic shit. I mean, you know, I don't talk about TV that much, but his role in Breaking Bad is one of the most sit up and take notice things you'll see in years. But now it kind of it kind of feels like he's settled into being doughy and maybe outwardly dopey, and then maybe being dopey or not being dopey, um, and that that that's fine. Um, yeah, it, 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 but it, it is the comeback show, but not in a way that it necessarily feels like he's wanting to steal things. It's just good acting, and fair fucking play to him. Um, so yeah, Power of the Dog. I I liked it quite a bit. Um, but my two favourite films so far. Um, so the last one uh, that I watched before um, I had to leave London, but I left on a high. Um, Asgard Fahadi's new film, A Hero. 
Um, so I was um, umming and ahhing about watching this. I didn't know anything about it before I went in because I'm a bad cinephile. Um, Jordan was very, you should come see a hero. Um, and again, I kind of alluded to it earlier on, but um, I mean, it'll probably, if I'm being honest, it'll probably be the last time I physically attend LFF in London. Um after I got the press pass, the chapter Cardiff announced that they were doing a bunch of screenings. Press pass cost 50 quid. Chapter, the tickets are £6. So I'm seeing... Uh, I saw The Harder They Fall. I'm seeing uh, Titan, uh, Tragedy of Macbeth, and Memoria, and that'll be 24 quid. You know, so, like, for the price of the press pass, I could have seen eight films, like, in Cardiff. And also just the queuing situation. So this has been a big, big thing on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got in the queue. Oh fuck, I forgot a film. Jesus Christ. So I got. I'll, I'll go to that in a second. Actually. Um, so after a screening of another film, I got back to my hotel at midnight, and I was up again at six to get in a queue for the Power of the Dog got in the queue at quarter past seven and it was already over a hundred people deep. Um, and it, when you fill in the application for LFF, you have to kind of indicate what days you're actually planning on being in London for. And I was assuming that's so they can plan for things, but I, there has been a tell of, I think Spencer people were being turned away last week. They just didn't have enough capacity. And it does feel like if you're paying £50, you know, and it, it, it is first world problems, oh, I've got to queue up, blah, blah, blah. But it, it, it does just feel, you did it, it didn't necessarily ever feel that bad or like the worry of, am I going to get a seat before? That was new. Um, and just the fact that, I, 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 if I'm speaking honestly, if I new chapter were doing those screenings I wouldn't have actually bothered getting the press pass I would have probably have done a combination of um, maybe getting the digital festival pass and watching a few things and going to see some stuff at chapter you know I um, I didn't see the souvenir part too because like schedule didn't align because like I'm not going to fuck off to the cinema for days on end then go to London because i got a family um, but I probably would have gone to see the, the souvenir part two on on Friday night um and yeah uh, anyway like i say it's first world problems but yeah i th- it, it i'm too old to do this now to be honest but like literally we walked out of the power of the dog and started queuing for a hero and there were uh, like an hour before it, it started and there were already people in front of us it just it's silly it was silly uh, but anyway, yeah, I'll talk about Hero and then swing back around to the the other film. So, um, yeah, really, really stressful piece of work this was. So, um, basically, story is a man is on uh, kind of like day release from prison. Um, his girlfriend, um, I, I, I wasn't too sure on this. I, I, I think she finds a bag. Um, yeah, which has got some gold coins in. And the reason why he's in prison is because he essentially owed a guy some money and he didn't pay it off. And he's thinking with these gold coins, he can pay, he can essentially pay that off and then um, 
uh, I think the inference is then um, he'll be allowed to at least go on leave because the the, the 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 creditors like yeah okay you I've been paid. Um, but he then decides well actually if I hand it in then maybe I'll be rewarded and he he um, he, he he basically kind of like advertises I got this bag whose is it somebody claims it. And then um, he becomes a bit of a, a local hero. He gets special leave from prison. Um, a charity start raising money for him to um, uh, basically pay off the the creditor. Um, and then people start kind of like um, a, a morally attacking the creditor for like, look, he did a nice thing, and you're 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 not being very chill. You're not you're not kind of like why don't you just let off the debt? And it's like. Well, I was being nice when I lent him money to get out of a, a serious jam, and it's you know, um, but the, the 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 guy kind of starts making up these kind of lies, and then they snowball, and then there's there's something that happens in the film, and then it further snowballs from there, and it's this story of a guy drowning in a moral mess, which was kind of of his own making, but also like bad luck is involved and um like i say very stressful um gripping um yeah, I, I mean and, and the 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 lead uh, the, the the lead performance um I, I need to get this gentleman's name he is fucking brilliant um uh, Amir J- uh, Jadidi um, as as Rahim, um, he through the film, it kind of feels like he's just like skating by on generally being a bit affable and people kind of like liking him because he's got a nice smiley face, um, and the the kind of the moral ambi- ambiguity of exactly like exactly what is he up to is really well played and it's like i say it, it part of it is of, of of his own choosing but also in the end of the day he could have you know he, he could have sold these coins and that, that you know that, that there's there's a point in it where like early on where it's like it, it they're not worth as much as he thought they were they were and he kind of makes a decision off the back of that but at the same time he kind of he did a good thing but for the for like the wrong reasons and but and, and sometimes people do that though and then fate just kind of gets in the way and it it, it feels almost like fucking like god ordained like the things that happen and it's like a test of him and by by the end you've had this like kind of like really just rich meal of a film um which i mean like we we were actually all pretty subdued after it um it's it's powerful stuff um yeah yeah like really uh, very much worth a watch um one yeah one one of my favorite things i've 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 seen this year actually i'll say um and uh yeah i don't know what kind of a release it's gonna get uh but it's it's well worth checking out uh wherever uh, whenever you can so that's a hero so yeah, the film I somehow forgot um, to talk about. Uh, this is uh, George Clooney's new directorial effort, um, starring Ben Affleck, *The Tender Bar*, um, which um, 
Apparently, Clooney was sitting two rows behind us, and I didn't notice. And uh, uh, Lauren McGrath told me, um, so that was cool. Um, but yeah, the tender bar. Um, it's interesting. Some people have been um, like complaining about the the sound in the the Royal Festival Hall, and uh, I know um, Matthew Turner, um, who's a, a a critic. I know, uh, literally said he's not even gonna like. He wasn't even gonna post a thing on Letterbox about it because he he can't give it a fair shake because he couldn't hear it, and. Um, which I thought was interesting. I mean, like the accents are strong, and it, it, but the acoustics were a little, a little shaky as well. Yeah. Um, but um, so yeah, this uh, adaptation of a memoir about a uh, guy um, who um, basically came from a family that never really seemed to achieve anything, and like they all just eventually come back and live with their grand grandfather, played by Christopher Lloyd. Um, but he wants to achieve. Um, he's helped out by this by uh, with this by his uncle, played by Ben Affleck, who is uh, uh, like a landlord um, who, uh, well, a pub landlord who uh, basically extols uh, wisdom while pouring drinks. <laughs> essentially, um, it is probably ever so slight damning with faint praise but this is probably Clooney's best film in 15 years but it's because he's made some like average and just plain stinker films and it's him going very bare bones you know just um telling a story with few flourishes but letting the actors do their things Ty Simpkins who is actually the lead of this film i You'd think it was Ben Affleck going in, but uh, no. Um, but Ty Simpkins is actually really good. I've never particularly cottoned on to him before, but I I, I liked him. Um, he get he actually gets gets you over maybe some of the narrative bumps that there are. He kind of becomes a little bit obsessed with with a girl and is doing a lot of this, a lot of stuff in the aim of winning her back. And it, it's just a bit a bit why you know I. You, you don't get enough of them actually together during the good times to to make that when they do break up and start kind of like shagging on the side and whatnot. It, it never, it, I don't quite get that that connection there. Um, but he he's 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 good. Um, it feels precision tooled for Ben Affleck to get best a best supporting actor Oscar. This it feels like there are probably half a dozen moments that could be an Oscar clip, and it's the whole thing where. He is just like the nice kind of drunk uncle who doesn't really have much of a backstory other than he's a nice drunk uncle. Um, But he says a lot of stuff that he gives a lot of like life lessons. Like he literally says, like, I'm going to give you a lesson in man sciences and things like that. He's like very earthy, but he's fun and it reminds you of. Ben Affleck being Ben Affleck. And I mean, Clooney said before the screening that it's like he wanted to give Ben Affleck a chance to kind of like do his thing, you know, because he hasn't really had many opportunities to be in like quality cinema lately, which was quite fun because people started laughing and then Clooney was like, hey, I was Batman as well, you know, and it's like, yeah. Um, But um, yeah, I mean, it is a good performance, but it's one of those ones where it'd be like, it'd be nice to give Affleck a, a, an, an Oscar for this, but if there, were, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something else. It was like, oh, oh, yeah, no, do you know what? That person should probably have it instead. I mean, I would be annoyed if, say, Jesse Plemons got 
an Oscar over, over him for, for Power of the Dog. But um, yeah, I mean, like, to be fair, it's like the only category where Oscar is even going to be sniffing around the tender bar. It's a film which is warm-hearted and gentle. Um, like, it, it's a perfectly pleasant experience watching it. And that that's about it. You know, it is solid. It is solid. Never does anything to particularly blow you away, but it's solid. And I'd like to see more of that from Clooney, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's the tender bar. Uh, on Amazon in January, I believe. Um, and my favourite film of those that I've seen at LFF so far this year uh, is uh, Flea. So, this has been getting some buzz um, where it could be nominated for Best Documentary, Best International Feature and Best Animated Feature and I see that happening. Is it going to win all three? Maybe, slash probably not, but I could see that happening and that would be uh, bloody notable. Uh, so, this is a Curzon uh, release. They do all their stuff on Curzon Home Cinema as well as theatrical, I believe, at this point. So, uh, when it does come out, you'll be able to... Um, you know, you'll be able to watch it at home. Uh, would be interesting to watch it in a cinema, but yeah. So basically, this is directed by uh, Jonas Poer Rasmussen and uh, is about a gentleman, uh, Amin Nawabi, um, who uh, grows up with his family in Afghanistan. His father is taken away by the military um, and disappears. They never know what happened uh, to him and uh, they look to flee Afghanistan. They do. But what is the country that takes them in? Russia. Then they look to flee Russia. In all this as well, um, I mean, kind of realises that he's gay uh, through a way which I won't spoil, but is fucking brilliant. Like, And it feels like such a, I don't know, a realisation to have when you're a kid. Um, or at least growing up. Um so it, it, it tells this story, but then it also um, is happening in this time where Amin is uh, looking to move somewhere with his boyfriend, Casper. Uh, Casper um, is looking to go and like, buy a home in the country for them to settle down, and Amin is standoffish about it. And like the, there, there is a sense in him that he can't settle down anywhere uh, because he's never been able to all his life. And it, it, it plays plays with that very well um and yeah i mean it, it's pretty remarkable on a number of levels first off the whole animated nature um really it, it, it's not it, it's not just like a, a unique selling point for the film um the, the, it leads to some real evocative stuff like first off there's a lovely transition pretty early on where Amin's going into his first flashback and the the way that's animated and um, a take on me like starts playing in the background that it's lovely um, but then there's there's also animation at a time which kind of like is, is chilling like some of the some of the experiences that Amin has with uh, uh, kind of like escaping it, it, it's told with 
this kind of like more impressionistic kind of style where it's all it almost feels like it's just a few brush strokes like telling a story against the dark canvas and it, it's it, very evocative and again like i was saying earlier that's the kind of stuff that feels like if you saw that on a in, in a big screen that would be like with the lights off that would be a hell of an experience um but as you know as as well as that it's Interesting, the the documentary filmmaker kind of inserts himself into it in some ways. Um, just in terms of there's some kind of revelations that not even he was aware of when he when he started filming him in and talking to him, which um, it, it's really quite staggering. And I, it, it kind of feels like that might actually have repercussions like after the film, and I I, I hope they don't. Um, but yeah, to which again, just from a narrative point of view, like really really are like oh that's like a genuine twi- twist, but it doesn't feel exploitative because it, it is naturally coming out. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's like the, the animation styles are really interesting. Like the, the present day stuff is told in the, in this kind of like straight way, like where the locations are kind of almost painted to be real and they're, they're, they're or, or drawn to be real. And they're, they're, they're really interesting. And the flashbacks do take on the, these more kind of like surreal looks, either in kind of like bright, vivid ways or these darker ways. Um, and it, it, it just, it's a very, very fully formed story of this man and the, the, the cinematic event, like not adventures, that's a stupid word, the, the cinematic journey that he has in escaping these places. Um, but then also just telling the story of a guy who through the making of this documentary, I mean, seems to have some kind of like re- re- emotional revelations about himself and it, it actually feels like the making of this documentary has changed his view on life and how he is in the future which is a very very powerful thing um so yeah yeah i mean i, I don't want to say too much more there but that that's flea um uh it, one of the best films I've, I've you know i i i i will see this year i think it's fair to say i think a hero is pretty much at that level for me as well um, and yeah, I, I don't think I've really seen any duds. I mean, like I was quite harsh on the harder they fall, but it's because that that that's a film that feels like it should have been better. Um, but hey, it is what it is. So there you go. That's um, forty five minutes or so on LFF. Um, uh, yeah, quite an experience so far. Um, like I say, there'll be uh, there'll be more next week. Some uh, heavy hitters uh, next week. Um, and yeah, I'm going to post this up for patrons now. And uh, if this goes up on the regular feed as well, then you'll know that Mark and Bex didn't record anything. And that's absolutely fine because those two have been busy. Uh, but yeah, that's LFF. And uh, thanks very much, folks. And uh, speak to you uh, yeah, next week. Cheers. Bye.